the teams you care about. Patriots and the playoffs. I'm impressed, but I'm not surprised. This is exactly where I expected them to be. The stories that matter to you. Look, I, I can't seem to want to pull the trigger on any huge free agent deals for the Red Sox, but I would trade Bobby Dalbeck. That I know for sure. This is your home for New England sports. If UVM wants to win and win big, they need stars to play like stars. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back in. It's a Tuesday. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Almost a full show today. We're lopped off by about 15 minutes. We're on until... 6.45, then it's high school basketball. Brent Curtis is on the call. Hazen taking on People's Academy on the boys' side. In about 15 minutes, Bob Sosi, the voice of the New England Patriots, is going to stop by. We'll talk about the win over the Jags, and there's actually something that we can help Bob Sosi with. He's helped us out a lot on this show. There's something we can help him with. We'll talk about that when Bob joins us. You can get in, as always, on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802 585 3026. It's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Everybody, let's waste no time. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sixandstuff.com. I want to start the show by delivering a public service announcement to our listeners. I want to deliver a PSA here right off the top. I just want to make sure that we are still talking about Bill Belichick. And the reason why I bring this up, we should be talking about Bill Belichick. The reason I bring this up is because I see shows nationally and regionally discussing and debating What's the biggest reason for the Patriots' turnaround this year? And I hear the same few answers coming up. Mac Jones is the biggest reason for their turn for their turnaround. Improved quarterback play in general is the reason for their turnaround. All the money they spend in the offseason is the reason for their turnaround. The guys they got back that opted out on defense, like Dante Hightower, that's the biggest reason for their turnaround. Hey, they played a soft schedule. Hey, they they avoided guys like in Tennessee when they came to town. Derrick Henry didn't play, and Jones didn't play, and A.J. Brown didn't play. They got lucky. I've heard all of those answers. You know what none of those answers are? Bill Belichick. So this Patriots team is 10-6, and six, is going to the playoffs. And they're there again after just a one-year absence. They're there for some combination of all of those reasons. All of those things are true. But what else is true is that Bill Belichick is still great. Let's not forget that. And I just want to make sure that everybody remembers that. So when you think about why this team has come so far from where they were a year ago and why Tom Brady's departure hasn't crippled the franchise in the way that a quarterback leaving usually cripples a franchise. When you think about why, remember Bill Belichick that he's part of the the recipe as well. We take Bill Belichick for granted, and I want to stop doing that as we are on the eaves of the playoffs. He deserves a lot of credit 
for what's happened with this team and with this organization. And there's been a lot of wondering around the league if the old guys can still hack it, right? And there's not too many old guys, but you see what's happening to Pete Carroll in Seattle. Russell Wilson doesn't want to play with him, doesn't want to play for him anymore. His philosophy is outdated. He's just an old fuddy-duddy. He's stuck in the 90s. You see what's happening to Pete Carroll. There's a question about whether or not the old guys can still hack it. And Bill Belichick, from an on-field standpoint, has shown that he can. Game planning, schematics, hiring the right coaches, he has shown he can still coach. So there, let's check that box for him. But also... The thing that I love the most about what Bill Belichick has done this year is that he seems to really have adjusted his attitude and his demeanor with this team. There was so much wondering and so much uncertainty and so much headbanging last year about if Bill Belichick and Cam Newton could coexist and how would Bill adjust to Cam and how much of Cam would have to how much of Cam would he have to give up to to work with Bill there was so much of that we spent so much of our covid summer last year talking about or I guess the covid 2020 summer we spent so much of that time talking about Bill and Cam and if they could relate to each other I think Bill Belichick has done a great job at connecting with this team and with these players. And that shouldn't be lost either. I think Bill Belichick has shown a gentler side with this team. I think he has recognized the tenor of this team. I think he's pushed appropriately when he's needed to. I think he's held back appropriately when he's needed to. I just think he knows the tenor of this team. He knows what it needs and when it needs it. And I think the ability to recognize that deserves a lot of credit and a lot of recognition. Do you remember last week? It was last Monday when we came in after the loss to the Buffalo Bills. We had Evan Lazar on, Patriots insider, and he said that he thought Mac Jones was down on himself. And he thought that Mac Jones needed to be shown a little bit of love and a little bit of confidence. Well, what do we get yesterday from Bill Belichick? You know, he's smart, he's a good learner, but he's got good good instincts and really pays attention to details and has just improved in, in every every area throughout the course of the year, continues to improve on a daily basis. And, you know, he's just uh, a really, uh, you know, a great great person to coach because he, he's so responsive to trying to do everything the way that you want to do it. You know, he played extremely well today. He just knows. He just knows the tenor of his team And that is impressive, it's important, and for the great leaders, it's necessary that they can be able to pick up on what a team needs at any given moment. We talked yesterday about this Patriots team enjoying the journey. Well, Bill Belichick is a part of that. When you are playing for the Super Bowl year in and year out, and it's Super Bowl or bust, then you have a certain demeanor to you. Tom Brady had a certain stoic demeanor determined stoic we're not enjoying anything but the end result that was Tom Brady and when Tom Brady was here that was Bill Belichick those were the expectations this team I can say it all I want I can repeat it over and over again you have to believe me this team's goals this team's expectations were not to win the Super Bowl so 
this team, this year, this version of the Patriots can enjoy the process, can enjoy the journey, and they can celebrate along the way. And Bill Belichick has done that too. He seems awesome in the post-game locker room speeches. He seems awesome at the podium. He seemed friendlier at the podium, and he handles this team better. He Sometimes he handles them with kid gloves. Sometimes he handles them a little harsher, but he just knows, and he gets it. So when you try to figure out what the biggest reason is for the Patriots' turnaround, I'm not even telling you what order to put him in, but don't forget Bill Belichick. On field, he has shown that he's still great, and in the locker room, he has shown an ability to adjust and adapt that many people feared he would never have. Many people thought that him, Nick Saban, the old guys around sports, they can't adjust. They're stuck in their ways. Tony La Russa, you saw what happened to him in the uh, in Major League Baseball with the White Sox this year. People questioned him, and a lot of cases justifiably so, for his old school nature. Bill Belichick has shown the willingness and the ability to adapt, and I think it started last year with Cam Newton. I think he did a great job at handling Cam. He handled the team well. Last year, and this year, it is carried over. And a lot of Belichick's greatness was crystallized even further to me this weekend when we heard safety Adrian Phillips talk about why he wanted to sign his three-year contract extension with New England that he signed this weekend. From the outside in, you kind of get this stigma about Foxborough, like there's no fun here, blah, 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 whatever it is. And then you get here and you see like, ah, it ain't like that at all. It's, it's really just... Hard work. You you do your job. You win. You win games. You have fun going to the postseason and being able to be coached by somebody like uh, Coach Belichick. Like, who doesn't want that opportunity? He's he's the greatest coach in the game to me personally. And like just being around his mind and his savvy and just seeing how he operates. Like, this is this is where I want to be. That's gold right there. That's gold right there. Adrian Phillips talks about Foxborough being fun, and he talks about Belichick being the best coach ever to him. So, of course, great from the on-field standpoint, which we expect, X's and O's, but also Bill Belichick has this year, maybe more so than any other year that we've ever paid attention to, he's shown the ability to connect, relate, to be more human, to be more empathetic, to be more understanding, and to just know the tenor of this team. The Tom Brady tenor was tight, was workmanlike, was businesslike. The Cam Newton tenor, this year's tenor of the Patriots, fun, a little more loose, still serious. We're still getting our job done, but we can enjoy the process, and I am a part of that. And now guys want to stick around. And I think that says a lot for Bill Belichick because we thought, oh, how could Bill relate to players? How could he relate as he gets older to players who are getting younger? And Adrian Phillips says, look, man, I want to be here. I want to stay here. I think that reflects well on Belichick as well. Uh, two distinctly different texts that come in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. Phil in Middlesex says in Belichick, we trust simply. And then Rick up in the Albany Village, way up there, says, come on, Belichick nicer and friendlier. Is he trying to win the Super Bowl or host a book club? He needs to be the same hard SOB he was when he was winning Super Bowls. Rick, 
they're ten and six this year with the so-called book club attitude that you think that he has. So he's ten and six. He's a player for the Super Bowl. I do not think they're going to win it. I said earlier, I think their ceiling, if if they are a five through seven seed, their ceiling is one win on the road. So I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl, but they are. They are in the conversation by virtue of being in the playoffs. So obviously his methods have worked this year, and a lot of people think the Pats have overachieved and overaccomplished with a rookie quarterback. And Rick, I would ask you this. Are you a parent? Now, I'm not, but I have parents. I also have a sibling. And I see that my parents don't parent me the same way, or didn't parent me growing up, the same way that they parented my sibling. Bill Belichick is the exact same way. Sometimes you recognize that different people, in this case different teams, need different way of treatment. They are reached in different ways. Success is brought out in different ways. Sometimes they need a kick on the butt. Sometimes they need a pat on the butt. The Tom Brady teams, with their expectation level, it was always I needed. they needed a kick in the butt. This team can be a little more coddled with a rookie quarterback. It needs a little more coddling. It needs a little more pat in the butt. And Bill Belichick has discovered that, and I give him a lot of credit for it. Because when you've had as much success as he's had, it's pretty easy to just fall back on what you've done in the past. And Bill Belichick isn't doing it. He deserves a lot of credit for his evolution and his willingness to adapt. So don't forget about Bill when you wonder why the Patriots are where they are. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi, he's going to join us next. It's going to be about 60 seconds from now. We're going to talk football, but we're also going to talk about how, for the first time, we can help him. Bob Sosi with us next on WDEV. He's called the best of the Patriots past. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. But now, it's time for these Patriots to bring a bright future to Foxborough. To Myers on the crossing route, turns along the sideline, inside the pylon. Touchdown, Patriots! Stewart takes the snap, he's looking over the middle, moves up, moves up, he's hit. The ball floats toward the corner of the end zone, picked off by J.C. Jackson. Here comes the rookie, Matt Jones. Welcome to Foxborough. It's the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi, on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on this Tuesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Patriots beat the Jaguars on Sunday, 50-10. to 10, A lopsided affair sends the Pats to the playoffs. There's still a chance at the division. There's still a chance outside and remotely at the number one seed, so... Lots to play for this upcoming Sunday for the Pats when they take on the Miami Dolphins in their own personal house of horrors. We'll have the coverage for you at 1.30. The kickoff is 4.25. And joining us now, as he does every Tuesday, is Bob Sosi, the voice of the Pats. Bob, how are you? I didn't get to see you at Gillette Stadium on Sunday, but I did enjoy my time at the game. Yeah, disappointed that we couldn't connect, Brady, but I'm glad that you had a chance to see the Patriots get back on track and score 50 points, no less. So (laughs) it was certainly filled with Patriots offensive highlights for you. 
I was. Uh, I have determined that no group of people has ever been more happy than any person who ever gets put on the video board at a major sporting event. I was so hoping that they would flash to you and Zoe at some point in the fourth quarter, and we could have gotten a little dance move out of you two. Well, you might have gotten a dance move or some kind of gyration out of one of us, and that's often the case <laughs> early in the fourth quarter of a lopsided game. And in fact, I think I did hear the outfield when they play Your Love, otherwise yeah. known as Josie's song. And Zoe's song, of course, his personal theme from his midday talk show here in Boston. Generally, when it's played in a, in a big game, Zoe is on the video board leading the crowd in cheers. But in this case, apparently for the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, they just decided to pan the stands rather than, you know, put Zoe on the board for, for a game of, at, this, at, that, at that point in time, yeah, absolutely no drama. And uh, I guess of uh, little marquee value in comparison to some of the big matchups of the past. Well, I had a blast. It was my first time at Gillette Stadium, my first Pats game in person. So I had a ton of fun and glad I saw a Pats win in the routing of the Jaguars. We, the Vegas said the Pats should have routed them. We all knew the Pats should have won the game. Did you learn anything about the Pats in that game? Or was it just as uh, Zach Cox of Nesson told us yesterday, it was the Charleston Southern of the Alabama schedule late in the season? Well, sometimes the Charleston Southern game is important to get back on track. And uh, <laughs> I think for the Patriots, the Jacksonville Jaguars, it's a, great, it's, a, it's a great analogy by Zach because this was a team that would be much like an FCS team playing at an FBS powerhouse like yeah. Alabama in that Jacksonville had so many players on the COVID list late in the week. They had 27 on the list on Thursday. Now, they brought back a number of those players, but they were still signing guys off the street into the weekend. I thought the biggest thing for me, Brady, in watching a game like that is, how did guys move? How did they yeah. look physically? And I thought there were guys like Kyle Duggar, for example, from his very first play. He looked a lot faster than he did the previous week. Sometimes the speed that you see is because of the matchup. Like when you watch pressure on the opposing quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, well, that has a lot to do maybe with the Jacksonville defensive line, a breakdown, for example, when Dante Hightower gets that early sack in the game second play. But I think in other areas of the field, you watch the way guys move around, and I think we have seen some noticeable improvement from Duggar over the last couple of weeks. And then when you look at Christian Wilkerson in Israel, I think we found out, although he had a 50% catch rate, which is kind of indicative of what we saw in training camp in the preseason in him, he's the guy that may give the Patriots a better option at the receiver position this week and the next week in the playoffs than a guy who played 61 snaps against the Buffalo Bills and Nikhil Harry. Mm -hmm. Just on his ability to get open and at least get some space and uh, you know have an opportunity to be in position to catch the ball from Mac Jones going forward. The Bengals, the Chiefs, the, the Bills, they all offer elements of scariness. Who do you want to see the most? Who is the most favorable matchup for you in the playoffs? Well, I think you look at the Patriots right now, the way they're constructed, they're capable of beating any of those teams. And yep. I think any of those teams would say it's a good matchup for them. You know, Buffalo is a, is a team right now the Patriots would be matched up with, and that would be really intriguing to go back to Orchard Park if the standings hold form with the Patriots currently in that fifth spot and probably minus the windy conditions. I think the Patriots would have a much better game plan defensively than they did the last game here. Josh Allen made some tremendous plays in that game, and he was outstanding. The Bills were outstanding. The Patriots couldn't stop them defensively. Uh, and Mac Jones didn't play particularly well in that game. So, I think a third time around, you know, the Patriots would be better prepared 
Would the Bills respond uh, as, as they did uh, coming off that first loss and, and play as well as they did in that second game with the Patriots? I think with the other teams that are in the conference, you know, you look at Tennessee, they ground out more than 270 yards against the Patriots in the first matchup of these uh-huh. teams, you know, 270 on the ground. And they're starting to play well once again. They've got Jones. Uh, uh, they've got uh, the receivers back. It looks like Henry's practicing now, or at least he's about to practice as we record this interview. And uh, for the Patriots, I think that would be a difficult matchup for them, considering some of the problems they had with Tennessee's strength, the running game in the first encounter. And as well, when you look at uh, the Titans defensively and just the way they play under Mike Vrabel, because that game looking forward would ha- have to take place, of course, in Nashville. And then with you know Kansas City, another team that you mentioned, uh, I think the Chiefs are, are more vulnerable this year than you know at, at any point during this period of time uh, that they've been atop the AFC West with Mahomes as their quarterback. Uh, to me, you know they're a bit inconsistent. I think the Patriots could match up pretty well with them. Uh, really offensively running the ball against Kansas City. But I think, you know, defensively, it'd be really intriguing to see how, how do the Patriots go about playing them. They've played Mahomes well. I thought they had a great game plan last year in week four, uh, but it didn't pan out, of course, in a close game when Brian Hoyer was the starting quarterback for New England. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, as he is every single Tuesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You know, we've spent – a lot of airtime the last couple of years talking about Josh McDaniels and his head coaching candidacy. What if Josh McDaniels just doesn't want to move up? We spend so much time forcing people into upwards mobility. What if he just does want to stay the offensive coordinator of the Patriots? Do you think that that is a possibility? Well, I think it depends on the situation that's out there because he has said on the record numerous times, including in the very recent past, that he would like to be a head coach someday. But he's also shown, of course, a recalcitrance as he did a year ago, it seems, with the Philadelphia Eagles. He had a nine or ten hour session with the Eagles, I believe, on a Sunday uh, when Philadelphia was canvassing head coaching candidates. They talked to Josh and they ch- talked to Josh May- uh, to Gerard Mayo. Yeah, um, Josh ultimately you know, pulled himself out, if not mistaken. He did the same with the Browns before that uh, when Kevin Stefanski was hired. Now, in that case, the writing might, might have been on the wall. Uh, he certainly, you know, has his background with what happened at Denver and as well uh, with him at the altar before eventually turning away from Indianapolis. I think in a lot of ways he's learned from both experiences and has put enough distance between both experiences and today to be strongly considered. I think he should be strongly considered. I think, you know, when you look at the the long line of Belichick assistants who've gone out there to be head coaches and have struggled, and we're seeing it right now, no better example than Joe Judge uh-huh. in New York. You know, for so many of them, it, it starts with trying to be like Bill. Uh, and I think in Josh's case, he's admittedly more or less said that, you know, he made mistakes in Denver that were consistent with that. Uh, Dan Pompey, uh, then of Bleacher Report, now the Athletic, a longtime NFL writer, had a great profile on Josh a few years ago. And he wrote that after Josh was fired by Denver, his dad uh, told him, write down everything you would do differently the next time. This is like the day after he was let go by the Broncos. Put everything down in a notebook. Write it down now so you don't forget it. 
And Josh McDaniels did that. And a lot of them were related to communication and people skills. And I think we've seen that borne out just in, in interactions with him over the last number of years that he's been uh, in his second tour with the Patriots. I certainly, uh, you know, believe so. So I think that he's better prepared. I think that, you know, he's a guy that would be successful in the right opportunity. But I think it's going to be, in his eyes, the best opportunity or maybe the perfect opportunity before he jumps at it. And that may not exist. I think he, I think he has to consider if I take this job, this is the last crack at it. And then that's maybe what he did with Indianapolis. And then at the last minute decided, you know what? I don't like everything about this. I, it's going to be interesting to see what he does this offseason if he gets that opportunity. Because I think he wants to be a head coach based on what he said. But at the same time, it seems like based on his actions and at times, uh, you know, the deliberate way he's gone about it, that he he really wants the best or at least close to a, a perfect opportunity for him. Bob, every week you stop by with us on Tuesday and you talk football. Every single week you've done it without fail for the last year and a half that this show has existed, and we are so grateful. Uh, we now have an opportunity to help you out. You're going to run the Boston Marathon, and you need a little bit of our help, and we want to help. So how can we help? Well, Brady, I'm going to try to run the Boston Marathon. I set out <laughs> to do this in 2020. With it back on the calendar in April of 2022, I've decided once again to try to run the Boston Marathon, and I'm doing it as a fundraiser. I certainly can't qualify. I just hope to finish. Yeah, I'm not even looking to break four hours, five hours. You know, time me with a sundial long <laughs> after the sun goes down. I just, I just want to finish. I want to get from Hopkinton to Boylston Street. And I'm doing it for the Flutie Foundation for Autism, as I shared uh, in uh, in a number of uh, uh, instances in the past, including on a, a video on my fundraising page. I, um, I have a son. Uh, my 11-year-old was diagnosed on the autism spectrum at the age of two. He's doing great now. He's in sixth grade, and uh, he's a really bright kid with a great personality. We're very, very fortunate and very blessed uh, that you know we had early intervention for him. We didn't have... Uh, the need for some of the more extensive services as he got older that so many families have. And, uh, you know, when I look at uh, the Flutie Foundation for Autism, it could have anybody else's name on it. This is not about Doug Flutie, uh, because, but he has done such a tremendous job for the last two decades plus because his son, Dougie Jr., uh, was diagnosed with autism really at a, at a time when there wasn't a lot of autism awareness. Hmm around. It, it certainly was not uh, something that many people were familiar with. A lot of people had this image, this stereotype in their mind of what was portrayed on television. And when, uh, when you meet someone with autism, you met someone with autism. And, you know, one person does not represent all. And I think what the Flutie Foundation has done for two decades plus and continues to do is to serve all in a lot of different ways, including young people like my, my son, who, you know, for the most part, you know, uh, to the to the casual observer, you know, wouldn't appear any any different than anyone else, uh, but uh, does have some, uh, you know, intellectual developmental disabilities in his past and, you know, and, ha and has some quirks. Uh, and then there are other people that uh, really are in need of far more extensive services and the Flutie Foundation uh, for Autism caters to all while continuing to raise awareness and doing a lot of great things, particularly in this time. Uh, routine is extremely important to yeah. uh, people on the spectrum and the Flutie Foundation during the pandemic has done a, a lot of, of extra work to try to help those, you know, who can't stick to their past routines, who, you know, have to stay 
in their homes, who can't go to the services that they used to uh, enjoy and need uh, pre-pandemic. So it's a great organization, really good people there. Uh, I'm going to try to, like I say, raise money for them and, and get to the finish line this time. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Bob Sosi. I've got a link, a recent uh uh, uh, tweet that you can find with my fundraising page. I know you've been kind enough uh, to share it as well. So I really do appre- appreciate that. Well, I'll certainly put it out again after this interview is up and uh, or is over rather. And uh, I've already donated. I'm calling on the WDEV listeners to donate as well. Bob has come here every single Tuesday without fail for the last two years and talked football with us. It's certainly the least we can do for him and for a great organization in the Flutie Foundation also for a great cause. So, Bob, uh, you're still you know, a couple months away from, from, from doomsday in that case for you in terms of having to run the 26 miles. Hopefully you're uh, running it in a Patriots Super Bowl champion T-shirt from this year. That's what we are hoping for. But uh, Pat's Dolphins regular season finale, one thirty with the pregame show on Sunday, 425 with the kickoff. Bob, we will talk to you in seven days. Enjoy the 80-degree uh, weather or so on South Beach, and we'll talk to you next week. Brady, I appreciate it. I love your idea. Let's get a sneak preview of what it's going to be like on Boylston Street with a Super Bowl parade. <laughs> okay. That sounds that sounds excellent. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots with us every Tuesday. We will step aside. We'll get a national news update from CBS News. We'll come back, though, on the other side. We'll talk about some of the Josh McDaniel stuff we just spoke about with Bob. Eventually, he's going to have to pull the trigger. And really, I will implore you one more time to donate to the Flutie Foundation and Bob Sosi's cause for the Boston Marathon. I'll tell you why. That's coming up next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. High school basketball comes up at 645. Hazen and People's Academy on the boys' side. We'll have the coverage for you with Brent Curtis right there. I want to thank Bob Sosi, the voice of the Patriots, for stopping by as he does every Tuesday. His full interview is soon to be available online at the Brady Farkas Show podcast channels on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And I know that the holidays just passed, and I know that COVID has made money tight for everybody. But if you are out there and you have anything at all, I am asking you to please donate to Bob Sosi's Boston Marathon cause, the Flutie Foundation. As Bob told you, he uh, has a son on the autism spectrum. Doug Flutie does as well, who's also a professional friend of mine, has been on this show. The Flutie Foundation works to provide money, support, and awareness for autism. So Bob is running the Boston Marathon in April. In honor of the Flutie Foundation, he's collecting donations for the Flutie Foundation. So if you're on social media, at Bob Sosi on Twitter, you can find Bob's direct link. I already donated. I, I promise you I put my money where my mouth is. I would not ask you to donate anything if I did not donate anything, and I did. And Bob wouldn't like me saying this, but I'm going to say it anyways. Bob Sosi comes on with us every single week here on WDEV for free. He comes on here every week for absolutely 
no money. He has never been paid one cent to come on with us weekly. Bob Sosi has come on every week since this show started. October 26th of 2020 was our first show. Bob has been on every Tuesday of football season since that date, and he's done it for no money. We do send him a couple of knickknacks here and there as a thank you, but he does it for completely free, and that is very, very rare. I can promise you I've seen it firsthand. We, we had on one prominent NFL insider at my old station in Albany, $250 a week for a weekly interview like we do with Bob. I had I asked somebody once to come on weekly. They they said $300 a week it would cost to get them. I paid I've paid guests $100 a week to come on. I've paid guests $75 a week to come on. I've paid guests $50 a week to come on at various places that I've been. Bob Sosi comes on every single Tuesday for free. So if you appreciate Bob's content and what he brings to our show and what he mean, you know, what he brings to this market and this state, then I am asking you to make a donation. It could be $5, it could be $25, it could be $100. It doesn't matter. Bob won't care, and he will just be appreciative. Again, I donated. I'm asking our great listeners here at WDEV, if you have it and you've appreciated what Bob has brought uh, has brought to us all, then to consider donating. That's Bob Sosi, Patriots broadcaster, running for the Flutie Foundation at the Boston Marathon. It is the Brady Farkas Show. Here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Something we talked about with Bob, football-wise, was the Josh McDaniels situation. The Patriots offensive coordinator always seems to be rumored for head coaching openings. And Josh McDaniels better realize this. If he wants to be a head coach again, he has to understand and accept that no situation for him will be perfect. We just had Bob on. And Bob said that McDaniels, you know, we talked about McDaniels' future. And Bob said that McDaniels does want to be a head coach again, but that he really wants to pick his spot and he's really, you know, he really wants everything to be nicely lined up for him. And that's pretty consistent with what we've heard. Even just a couple of weeks ago, Albert Breer, the Monday morning quarterback, said pretty much the same thing. I do think he's going to draw some interest. I think he's going to be a little bit more, I'd say, judicious about it than he's been the last couple of years. I think he likes his situation. You know, I think if you were him last year, you had to look at what was happening in New England and wonder, is this going to be conducive to my stock remaining where um, where it has been? Um, I think now with the young quarterback in the fold, he's got a little bit more flexibility to wait a year or two if the right opportunity doesn't come along. If McDaniels wants to be a head coach, look, be judicious all you want. Do your due diligence all you want. But at some point, at some point, you have to be willing to pull the trigger. And you have to be willing to pull the trigger when everything isn't perfect around you. No job is perfect. No job situation is perfect. They've all got something wrong with them. Look. There's already a couple of jobs available for next year. Jacksonville, we saw that on display on Sunday. There's not a lot of talent there. There's questionable ownership. And you've got a GM in Trent Baalke that a lot of people don't like and don't trust. So there's issues in Jacksonville. They do have a quarterback prospect, four years of team control, number one pick in the draft. So there's a positive. There's a lot of negatives. They've got a lot of money available. And you could go and just buy your way right back into contention potentially. So Jacksonville has upside. 
has a ton of issues. The Raiders' job is open. Remember, John Gruden was fired. There's a ton of turmoil in that organization. There has been. There has been instability with the Raiders for years. Is that a situation that you want to go to? What's the status of Derek Carr, a guy that we're still not sure if Raiders brass really believes in? So the Raiders has upside, also has drawbacks. And then look at the jobs that might become available here in the next couple of weeks. The Bears, that job's probably going to be be available. Not a lot of offensive weaponry, an aging defensive core, but you have the quarterback in Justin Fields, and the GM might be out there too, so you're not quite sure who you're getting hired with. Bears, upside issues. Seattle, no first-round draft pick. Bears don't have a first-round draft pick either. Seattle doesn't have a first-round draft pick. They may not have Russell Wilson. Do you want that job if it becomes available? If you get that job and Russell Wilson is there, he might be driving Pete Carroll out. Do you really want to go and marry yourself to him at 32, 33 years old? Don't know. If Carolina has their job come open, there's issues there. There are issues everywhere. If you're waiting for the perfect situation, Josh McDaniels, it's not going to exist. It's not going to exist. This isn't college football where uh, Luke Fickle could have left Cincinnati and gone to Notre Dame, a team that was right outside the college football playoff. This isn't Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame and going to LSU where they're two years removed from a national championship. This isn't that. The NFL doesn't do that. If Josh McDaniels wants to be a head coach at some point, he's going to have to be willing to dive into the deep end of the pool headfirst. You can hem and haw and you can sit and you can wait for a perfect situation. The perfect situation will never come. There's always going to be something wrong with that next job. There's always going to be something wrong. There's always going to be a reason not to take it. If you want to be a head coach like Bob Sosi tells us that he does, you've got to just accept that and figure out how to minimize those flaws of the job when you get there. A bunch of texts. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Rob in Marlboro. Do you think he's waiting for the Patriots job? I, I hope not. Because that would be the wrong choice. And Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio has told us on multiple occasions he thinks Josh McDaniels is waiting for the Patriots job. And I have fought that every step of the way with Freddie. I think that that would be a very wrong decision and a very poor choice. Josh McDaniels should not wait for the Patriots job because I think that job is going to Steve Belichick. I am convinced in my mind that Bill Belichick wants to pass that job off to his son. I have thought that for about two years. There are good candidates, right? Uh, Gerard Mayo wants to be a head coach. Not going to be it in Foxborough. Josh McDaniels wants to be a head coach. Not going to be it in Foxborough. I believe in my gut that Steve Belichick is getting that job. And when everybody asks, well, why would Bill Belichick want to stay through a rebuild at nearly 70 years old? Well, some of you thought that it was, some of you thought that it was um, to to prove he could win without Brady. That could be part of it. The other part of it, stick around long enough, 
to get Steve Belichick more and more uh, experience so he could just hand the job off to him. I absolutely think that he wants to stick around until Steve Belichick has been properly groomed. So Josh McDaniels waiting for the Patriots job, I think that is a fool's errand. Josh in Bennington County. Do you think McDaniels has said no so many times that people will stop calling him? Well, he hasn't been called yet this year. You know, we talk about the Jacksonville job. We have not, he has not been contacted by the Jags. Have not heard him in connection with the Raiders. Jobs that might become available. We haven't heard anything about when it comes to McDaniels. So I think, yeah, it's absolutely a concern. I think that's a concern for somebody in any kind of work. You get a reputation as a guy that won't leave, and eventually that can catch up to you. I I know that, trust me, I know that firsthand in my career. I know that firsthand in my career. There was, no joke, there was a time in about a two-year span where I was offered or was going to get offered about six different jobs in this business. I had, and I didn't apply for any of them. These places just called me. Stationed in Florida, I they were going to offer me the job. I pulled out at the very end because I didn't want it. Stationed in Florida was going to hire me. Uh, Stationed in Seattle was going to offer me something. Not quite what I would have wanted. Turned it down. I had a big job offer that I turned down. So th- there were plenty of jobs that I turned down, and I wasn't even looking for them. And you know what? I haven't gotten a call in a while. And that's okay. I love where I'm at. I love, I love being here. I love doing this show, and I love building this show from the ground up. But eventually, you say no so many times, people just might stop calling. And they haven't called me in a while, and they haven't called Josh McDaniels yet this year. So, yeah, I would say that that absolutely is a real concern. You turn enough people down, the reputation becomes real. Now, again, in McDaniels' case... I think he's got a nice little feather in his cap, the development of Mac Jones, his ability to develop a quarterback. I think that's going to continue to reflect well on him. I do think he'll get called again, but he's not going to get called with the regularity he was called three, four years ago. Joe in Bethel. What if McDaniels just doesn't want to be a head coach? And Joe, I asked that of Bob Sosi. Like, we're so used to coaches wanting to move up. We're so used to this idea of coaching being a mobile profession. Like, what if McDaniels has just decided that he doesn't want that? And I wouldn't begrudge him. There was a time where I would have. Coaching has been always a mobile profession. You go and look at coaches' resumes, and they are littered with one year here, one year there, four years here, three years there, two years there, five years head coach, got fired, back down to coordinator, two years here. That is coaching in a nutshell. It's living all over the country. We expect that from coaches. There's a time where I would have begrudged Josh McDaniels for not wanting to move up. But now, I wouldn't. At some point, you do settle into something. And if Josh McDaniels were to settle into being the Patriots offensive coordinator and was doing well at it, I would no longer hold that against him. But like I said, or like Bob Sosi said, he still wants to be a head coach as far as he knows. If he said like, hey, 
I'm happy with this being what I do for the next 30 years and he could hold on to the job, then more power to him. I'd be okay with it. But everybody around McDaniel still says he wants to be head coach, and he has said that in the past recently as well. But And Bob in Moncton says, if Bruce Arians retires at the end of the year, that could be a uh, you know a perfect situation. You know, that would be the rare ready-made situation, but it would only be ready-made for a very finite period of time, right? Like Tom Brady is going to be 45. So if you want to hold on to the job for 15 years, then you're hitching your wagon eventually to an unknown, unproven young quarterback probably because Brady's not doing it forever. You you get Brady at his high point and he leaves quickly and then you're fighting an uphill battle or you get Brady and he is on the down slope and you've got to manage that situation. No, thank you. Antonio Brown's gone. Chris Godwin's got a torn ACL and going into next year, he's a free agent anyways. He might be gone. The aging guys that, that Brady brought in, the Leonard Fournette's, the Gronks, how long are they going to be there? I don't think that the Bucks are a ready-made job long-term. Next year, it still would profile to be a good job. Long-term, they're going to end up like a lot of other teams that are in turmoil. Travis says, how about a big-time college job for Josh McDaniels? I, I disagree with that even more. You guys know where I stand on this. I wouldn't hire Josh McDaniels as my head coach. I have said this for years. I don't see enough leadership from Josh McDaniels. I just don't see him speaking to a room of 53 people and getting them all to buy in. I don't see him really at a big-time college job speaking to boosters and the university president and wowing the campus community. I don't see that. You've got – there is an element of being a coach – that is about being an orator and inspiring people. I understand that professional athletes don't need you to be rah-rah at every turn, but they do have to trust you. They do have to believe in you. You do have to bring out something in them, and I don't see that from Josh McDaniels. There are guys in the league that are good X's and O's guys but can't inspire the team. Matt Nagy, do you think Matt Nagy doesn't know football? Of course Matt Nagy knows football. Can he inspire and can he lead? Appears not. Okay, appears not. Dan Campbell in Detroit, we know he can inspire and lead. Can he do the X's and O's? Remains to be seen. Joe Judge is a good talker, usually. Can he do the X's and O's well enough? Don't know. Pat Shermer, of course he knew football with the Giants. Can he do the leadership stuff? No. So you've got to have an element of both. And I just don't see the other stuff from McDaniels. And maybe the quote that kind of affirmed everything to me is what I heard Pete Carroll say yesterday. Pete Carroll was on the radio at 710 ESPN in Seattle, and he was kind of asked about coaching and coaching philosophies. Listen to this, because this nails it for me. 
that isn't the most important thing. That 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 there's plenty of brains out there. There's plenty of experiences and guys you can put together that can bring that stuff. It's really getting it to fit and relate to to the people that you have and the opportunity that you have and you know, what your your opposition, what you're up against, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you can get your scheme together, but I think without your philosophy, you know, it doesn't matter much. You can get your scheme together, but without a philosophy, it doesn't matter much. He said there's a lot of brains out there. It's about getting those brains to work together and how it relates. That is why I wouldn't hire Josh McDaniels. To me, he is a brain, and he is a brilliant football brain. I used to bag on McDaniels' play calling. I have gone so far the other way in the post-Tom Brady era. I think McDaniels has done a great job. I thought he did a great job to extract every ounce of blood from the rock that was last year's Patriots team. I thought he did a great job this year now kind of babying Mac Jones along and helping him develop. Josh McDaniels is a great football mind. He's a great coordinator. I think he's great one-on-one in the meeting room with, or great one-on-one on the sideline looking at the tablet with Mac Jones. I think he's great in the quarterback room. I think he's probably great on the whiteboard. Can he lead 53 guys in the way that Dan Campbell can, in the way that Pete Carroll can, in the way that Sean Payton can, in the way that Mike Tomlin can, in the way that Andy Reid can? Can he inspire confidence? Can he build trust? Can he have those relationships? Those are the things I don't see. I only ever see him talking to the quarterback. I don't need hysteronics from him. I don't need him to be crazy on the sideline, but I don't see a leadership personality. That's just me. That This is a hill that I am willing to die on. I would not give Josh McDaniels another head coaching job. Not because I think he's a stupid football coach. He's a great football coach. But being a head coach is about more than that. Can you... Scheme up the play that you want. That's part of the job. Can you inspire people is another part. Can you handle timeouts, clock management, work with your staff, handle when your staff, when a guy leaves to take another job? Can you work the draft? Can you handle contract stuff? Do you get along well with the GM? Being a head coach is all about relationships in addition to X's and O's, and I just don't see relationships being a quality of Josh McDaniels. I just don't. That's what it comes down to. And the Pete Carroll quote there said it best to me. If McDaniels wants to be a head coach, he's going to have to act here soon. I don't think he'll get calls forever. The calls have already dried up. And you just got to recognize that it's never going to be always perfect. If he wants it, he's got to go for it. I just wouldn't be the guy that gives it to him. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. High school basketball comes up about 20 minutes from now. Hazen and People's Academy on the boys' side. When we come back, who's saying what? The latest on the Antonio Brown saga and why I do think today the Bucks have a degree of responsibility in what happened on Sunday. That's next on Deeks. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you about my town. 
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. High School Hoops coming up. Peoples hosting Hazen. We'll have it for you in about 15 minutes. Brent Curtis is on the call. Well, time to get to who's saying what. Who's saying what is brought to you by Central Vermont, uh, Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes, which is Vermont Laser Wash. The car washes there begin at only $20 a month, so... Vermont Laser Wash. Again, $20 a month. Great membership there. If you want one free car wash, you can just text in the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. So 30400, no commas, and uh, text the word Vermont. You get a free car wash. Unnamed texter, kind of on the point that I made last time. It's uh, Virginia from Starksboro, not unnamed actually, says that uh, Ivan Fears and Dante Scarnecchia both could have easily been head coaches. Maybe McDaniels is following in their path. It's a good living. And, I, you know, I was thinking along those same lines. There are coaches out there that are longtime positional coaches that never wanted to move up like that. And we don't begrudge them. So that's part of the reason why I've amended my thought process on McDaniels. I won't begrudge him if he truly wants to stay, you know, as an assistant and doesn't want to be a head coach. What I would fight Virginia on on that one is – it's, it's a good living. Yeah, the special teams coach has rarely been blamed for a loss. The offensive line coach is rarely blamed for a loss. The running backs coach is rarely blamed for a loss. Those jobs are a lot easier to keep over a period of 15 to 20 to 25 years. The offensive coordinator, that guy gets blamed. If McDaniels slipped it all, he'd be he'd be on the chopping block instantly. Like, he wouldn't have that long of a grace period. The offensive coordinator doesn't keep the job for 25 years. So, if he can stay at a high level, he could keep that job. But he'd have to stay at a high level. It's still a job that comes with pressure. Ivan Fears in the running back's job, I'm not saying it's not important. It is. But it's also not, you know, the position of the staff that makes or breaks your season. Okay, who's saying what? Let's get to it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. Who's saying what comes courtesy of Greg Allman. He covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for The Athletic. He talked about if he thinks we'll ever see Antonio Brown in the NFL again. I'm sure there are people with the Patriots, with the Raiders, with the Steelers that thought it was a last strike. He's still a talented player, and if you have a coach and a team that are willing to tolerate all the baggage that comes with him, he made plays Sunday. I mean, before he took his shirt off and left the field, he was making plays, had a 21-year catch for the Bucks to help them. So... It's just a matter of finding a team that's willing to work with him and trust that what he adds from a talent perspective outweighs the risk. Right there is what does it for me. It's about finding a team that believes that his talent outweighs the risk. There should be no teams that think that. Antonio Brown's nine lives are done. Antonio Brown is out of chances as far as Brady Farkas is concerned. He is not worth the trouble anymore, and his talent cannot supersede all the other issues. Look at it this way. In 2019, when Antonio Brown was signed by the Patriots, 
the Patriots were a Super Bowl contender. Now, remember, they faded down the stretch, and they flamed out and lost to Tennessee and Brady's last year. But the 19 Patriots were like 8-0 to start. They were a Super Bowl contender. They moved on from Antonio Brown. Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft, a Super Bowl contender. They moved on from Antonio Brown. Now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are trying to repeat as Super Bowl champions. You have Tom Brady, the greatest winner, the greatest champion in the history of the NFL. You have him, who all he wants to do is win. They could you that guy wants Tom that guy wants Antonio Brown more than anybody in the world. And they moved on from Antonio Brown. Or they are moving on from Antonio Brown. So if it's not if Antonio Brown is not worth it to Super Bowl contenders, and if Antonio Brown is not worth it to the greatest champion and his biggest champion of all time, who is he worth it to? The answer is nobody. There is nobody in the league that should take a chance at Antonio Brown. If the And the Bucs are desperate. They're trying to win. They want to appease Brady. Brady wants to win. Chris Godwin's out for the year. The Bucs need Antonio Brown. And they moved on from him. Nobody else should be taking a chance. I mean, look at, let's just go process of elimination. If you're a bad team, you don't need Antonio Brown. His talent doesn't really matter to you. If you're the Lions, if you're the Jaguars, if you are the Jets, you don't need A.B. So that knocks off six to eight teams. If you are a team with a young quarterback, you're lopped off because you're not saddling a young quarterback with Antonio Brown. I'm not sending Antonio Brown to Cincinnati and ruining Joe Burrow. I'm not putting Justin Herbert in Antonio Brown's line of fire. I'm not doing that. So now the young quarterback group is out. The really bad group is out. I would say there's a group of veteran quarterbacks that just don't want to deal with him. Matt Ryan's in that group. Kirk Cousins is probably in that group. Like Those guys don't want to deal with Antonio Brown. Dak doesn't need him. He's already got him. He's already got great receivers. So, like, how many teams are even would even be in the mix realistically for Antonio Brown? Five? Well, if I'm down to five teams, none of them should be taking a chance on A.B. If Super Bowl contenders don't want him, you shouldn't want him. If Tom Brady is now in a situation where he's got to move on, then you should move on to. As far as I'm concerned, Antonio Brown is done in the NFL. It does not mean he will be. I am not a general manager. That is how I would operate my team. But somebody out there might be stupid enough to think that they can save Antonio Brown or that they can just extract a couple of good games from him. Yesterday, I was harsh on Antonio Brown. And I stand by everything that I said. I stand by everything I've ever said on Antonio Brown. I do not like him. I don't believe he deserves more chances. But the Buccaneers also deserve some culpability in what transpired on Sunday. Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network dropped this late last night. It is going to happen, uh, but it didn't ha- did not happen today. And I should also mention, M-Day, in the days leading up to the game, there were several people uh, with the Bucks, people close to Antonio around, who reached out to him to try to offer that help Bruce Arians mentioned. Uh, they just did not think personally he was doing well. Uh, it did not work. And then everything we saw on Sunday. 
That really bothers me. What Rappaport just said really bothers me. That people didn't think that Antonio Brown was well the week of the game. People reached out to Antonio Brown before the you know during the week of the game. That doesn't sit well with me because they knew it, they sensed it, and they played him anyways. And that seems really wrong. We already know how ownership views players, right? Owners view players as assets. Owners view players as tools to help accomplish a task. That is how players are thought of. We know that. But at some point, players do need to be treated like human beings. And if the if the Buccaneers, if people in the organization thought that something was wrong with Antonio Brown and thought it was serious and sensed it and saw it firsthand and they played him anyways, then that seems like human malpractice to me. I've got no time for Antonio Brown. But the Buccaneers have told us over the last couple of days how much they care about Antonio Brown, how much they love Antonio Brown. Tom Brady said it. Bruce Arian said it. They, Le'Veon Bell said it. They love Antonio Brown. They care about Antonio Brown. The relationship with Antonio Brown will endure. He's one of their best friends. They've all said it. Well, if any of you actually meant that, then you would have not let Antonio Brown play. If you cared about him as a person, you would have not let him play if you saw something was wrong. This doesn't appear to be a case where Antonio Brown lashed out suddenly and flipped a switch. This doesn't appear to be a case of where it was brewing beneath the surface and it all bubbled up on Sunday and caught people by surprise. Ian Rappaport is telling you that people in the organization knew that Antonio Brown was unhappy. They knew that something was afoot and they knew that he wasn't right and they played him anyways like he was some tool to go out there and accomplish a task. That doesn't seem right. If you loved him like you say you do, you wouldn't have done that. But Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, Jason Light, the coaching staff, every one of them decided that they valued a Week 17 win over the awful Jets more than Antonio Brown's potential well-being. I don't know. I, I think Antonio Brown is a walking disaster. But is what happened on Sunday avoidable if they take him off the field? Maybe. If they never put him on the field, better said? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But, and look, if they tried to sit him, would he have gone crazy about being sat? Maybe. If they tried to sit him, would the players' union be upset? Maybe. Would he have refused treatment if they offered him help? Maybe. But if you knew something was up and you did nothing, you just tried to proceed with football as usual, then at some point I think you've committed human decency malpractice. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You know, usually when we have a full show, we do crazy Twitter takes, but I just, I got, this isn't so much a crazy Twitter take, although it did come to me on Twitter. Did you guys see the Mike Zimmer exchange from Sunday night? 
So remember this, the Vikings were pummeled by the Packers and Sean Mannion was the starting quarterback for the Vikings because Kirk Cousins had COVID-19. So Sean Mannion starts, they're getting blown out. At the end of the game, Mike Zimmer benches Mannion and he puts in Kellen Mond, who was drafted maybe the second or third round, I believe at a Texas A&M, but he gets drafted by the Vikings and Mond goes one series and then all of a sudden Mannion's back in the game. So the Vikings are eliminated from playoff contention. After the game, here's the reporter exchange with Zimmer about Kellen Mond and the quarterback situation. Do you think you want to get a look at Mond next week? Not particularly. Mike, why don't you want to get a look at him? I see him every day. Don't you want to get why do you want to get a look at Mond? Not particularly. Why? Because I see him every day. That is the coldest soundbite I've heard maybe this season. And I saw people in the media. So this has, this has two tentacles to me. One, as a media member, I appreciate the honesty. Okay? That soundbite could drive Minneapolis radio for the next three days. We say in the media all the time, we want honesty and we want transparency. You just got it. All day long, the media gets fed cliches, coach speak. They get fed nonsense and garbage. That wasn't nonsense. That wasn't garbage. That was honest. That was real. So as a media member, I appreciate the honesty. That right there is exactly what we ask for. Don't be a media member who claims you want honesty and then gets offended at the answers. You might not have liked what he said or how he said it, but... At least he gave you something you could actually work with. And that's important. So, from a media standpoint, I like that Mike Zimmer said that stuff. Now, from a Viking standpoint, that is probably one of the worst things that you could do. Probably one of the worst things that you could do. Probably one of the dumbest things that Mike Zimmer could do. Mike Zimmer is probably going to get fired. He might have gotten fired anyways. That right there makes him easier to fire. If I'm Kellen Mond, I'm offended. Do I think that, you know, does this team think that I can be a starting quarterback in this league or certainly maybe be a franchise quarterback? Clearly not right now. If I were other players on Zimmer's roster, I'd be offended. What's he saying about me? That is not how you handle a team. That is not how you handle emotions. That is not how you handle personalities. That's not how you handle any of it. The Vikings should be upset. Ownership should be upset. Uh, Rick, was it Rick, Ziggy Wolf and Rick Spielman? They should be upset. That's, I think, the owner and the GM in Minnesota. The team should be upset. The fans should be upset that Mike Zimmer took this team to the playoffs a couple years ago against the San Francisco 49ers and, and, and you know, had a really good team. And since then has lost to Fon Diggs and now has Zimmer saying this about his backup quarterback, a kid they drafted and, and liked enough to draft. I mean, he's apparently taken a good situation and devolved as a leader here in the last couple of years. If I were a Vikings fan, that clip would be a huge problem to me. A huge problem to me. Again, a media member, no problem with it. Like it. Appreciate it. Vikings fan, Vikings player, Vikings management, I got no time for that. Mike Zimmer probably was going to get fired anyways, and now there's just more ammunition there 
in the tank. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Bad news locally, by the way. UVM men's basketball postponed on uh, Saturday against Hartford. So, Catamounts are going to play on Thursday at home. You know, I think it's probably Sunday. Let me verify that real quick. But UVM men's basketball postponed this weekend against Hartford. COVID issues within the Hartford program. I don't know what is Saturday. My apologies. It was right the first time. Always trust your gut. So, Thursday, UVM will take on UNH. That game's at home at Patrick Gym, 7 o'clock, nationally televised on ESPNU. Saturday against Hartford, that game has been postponed because of COVID issues within the Hartford program. So tough news there, tough break for John Becker and his team. Look, everybody's dealing with it. You got to roll with the punches, but you're losing some rhythm. It's a Catamount team that play that already was on a break, right? You had a holiday break, and then you got canceled on Sunday, postponed on Sunday against U Albany. Now you're postponed this Saturday. You're going to end up playing one game in like – 20 plus days that's tough to create a rhythm and you've got guys that this catamount team already couldn't shoot well now you need you know now you're taking guys out of rhythm even more and guys aren't playing i fear rust coming on thursday so we will see but uh, uvm only going to play one game this week it is the brady farkas show on wdev am and fm and wdevradio.com now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. High school basketball coming up here momentarily. Hazen and People's Academy on the boys' side. Brent Curtis on the call. The JV game has finished. There's about 10 minutes left in warm-ups for the varsity game, so we'll get you out there in just a couple of minutes. So Brent waiting eagerly courtside for a nice rivalry game there. People's hosting Hazen, so we'll have that for you in just a couple of minutes again here on your home for high school basketball, WDEV AM and FM, and uh, WDEV Radio. I have like 14 people texting me right now on the air asking, when's the game start? When's the game start? Game is starting in uh, in a couple of minutes. So uh, don't worry. The game, the, the equipment is not broken, people. The uh, the game is just in a delay because the JV game went long. Hopefully it was like triple overtime or something. So we'll take you here for a couple of more minutes here on the Brady Farkas Show. Um, I want to tell you about my favorite play of the Patriots game on on Sunday. I was there, Patriots-Jags. You know this. I've talked about it ad nauseum for the last couple of days. My favorite play of the game, though, seeing it up close in person, was Mac Jones' first touchdown pass to Christian Wilkerson. I believe this is the one. uh, Mac rolling right. I believe this is the right cut. Let's see if this is it. I believe so. Uh, Yeah, go, go ahead, guys. Let's try to play this one, see if this is it. Jones rolling right, throws back, wide open, touchdown! Yeah, that was it. Mac Jones rolled right and then found Wilkerson in the back of the end zone. We take that play for granted, right? The Patriots were at maybe like the four-yard line or something like that. We as fans watching from home take that play for granted because we think, hey, quarterback's got all this room to operate. If you roll right, if you roll to one side, there's going to be somebody open in the back corner. To see that play materialize in real time was actually very fascinating to me and how much patience you have to have as a quarterback. And I, I was watching it the whole way, and to see what Mac did was pretty remarkable. So Mac gets the ball 
I believe he, I believe it was a play fake. I believe it was a play action. He rolled to the right, and then the Jaguars actually had it decently well covered. It wasn't like they flooded the run. It wasn't like they all took it underneath guy. There were guys there. The, I mean, the 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 corner of the you know the that side of the field was well defended actually. And Mac just keeps rolling, 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 buys time, and eventually Wilkerson slips. I thought that was such a cool play to just think about the patience needed to pull that play off. Okay, The patience that Mac Jones exhibited. We've talked about that a couple of times with the Patriots this season. All right, The ability to be deliberate in what you are doing. Me as a, as a player... If I know something's happening, I want to make it happen right away. I get very, very antsy on on, on fields of play. There was the touchdown pass earlier this year, I think, where uh, Jacoby Myers threw it, or Kendrick Bourne threw it to Nelson Aguilar, and he had to sell the play fake there. He had to sell the toss right. Um, let me see. I'm trying to remember which game that was in even. So Myers gets the toss. It was a screen pass. He had to fake like – that was it. Bourne got it. It was a screen pass. He had to fake like he was going to run upfield, drew the defender, and then threw it over the top, I believe, to Aguilar. The patience needed there to sell that was beautiful. Mac the other day, had to sell it beautiful, had to sell the play fake, and then had to let the route materialize and didn't want to just throw it instantly. I thought it was really, really cool. Really good play and really cool and unique to see it in person. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Uh... Five, uh, let's see, 6.54, we've got high school basketball coming up. It looks like we're going to send you there now. The teams are ready. So uh, Hazen and Peoples, we will have it for you here momentarily. Brady Farkas Show podcast will be up on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify uh, in about 15 minutes or so. We'll be back at it again tomorrow. Tom Karen, our Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, will be with us at 5.45. As well, remember, Governor's State of the State Address, that is coming up. Uh, tomorrow at 2 p.m. So we will see you on the other side, everybody. High School Basketball is next here on your home for high school hoops, WDEV.